Between all the shopping, Christmas programs, parties, and more shopping, it seems every Christmas comes and goes a little faster every year. Too often in the rush of the season, it's easy to forget to stop and take in the wonder of Christmas. If you just take the time to just look and investigate, you too will be captivated by the wonder of it all. Welcome to Anchor Points, a program produced by Frederick Seventh-day Adventist Church of Frederick, Maryland. Here, we hope you'll find answers to some of life's everyday struggles. You can learn more at fredericksdachurch.org. So, what was it that captured the excitement of the Magi when they saw the star over Bethlehem? Today, Robert Quintana brings insight into this little-understood story and offers lessons we can learn from it, as he wraps up with the third and last part of Captured by the Wonder. A few weeks ago, I asked a 10-year-old if they knew what the meaning of Christmas, what the true meaning of Christmas is. And she said to me, yes. I said, well, what's that? She said, family and love. Well, yeah, all right. Well, that's a great reason to celebrate. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, but that's not the real reason we celebrate Christmas. And I said, is there, is there any other reason why we celebrate Christmas? Why is this season so important to us? Why is it special? She kind of thought for a little bit and she said, presents. I said, well, yeah, presents is a great reason to celebrate. You know, I like presents too, but in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, but that's not the real reason we celebrate Christmas. And so I said to her, I said, uh, does Bethlehem mean anything to you? And she goes, Bethlehem, what? No? I said, okay, so you've never heard of Bethlehem. Um, I said, How about the shepherds and the magi? No. I said, okay. Um, I said, the nativity scene? Have you seen nativity scenes around town? And she goes, no. I said, okay. Um, I said, said, does baby Jesus mean mean anything to you? And she goes, oh, yeah, baby Jesus. I've heard of him. And I thought to myself, man. And it seems like this season, this time of celebration, we oftentimes just fly right through it without taking time to really focus and meditate on what makes Christmas Christmas. Now, we don't believe that Jesus was born on December 25th. You know, if if we were to break it down, he was probably born sometime in the fall, maybe October But this is the day that we've chosen to celebrate the birth of Christ. And so this is a day that we all come together and and we, we say, this is the miracle, the love of a God for humanity that Emmanuel, God with us, he comes and he puts on human flesh and he's born into this world for the purpose of dying on the cross for your sins and for my sins. And that's reason to celebrate. 
And so that's why I've entitled this sermon series, Captured by the Wonder. Because what I want to do is not just go through this season, flying through this season with a long checklist of things to do. And, you know, you're going through the week, check, check, check. I bought that gift. I bought that roast. I bought that check, check, check. And I need to clean this. I need to do that. And make it through the season without really focusing on why it is that we celebrate Christmas. So turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 2. Matthew is the only gospel, the only disciple, he is the only one that mentions the story of the Magi, or as some refer to them as the wise men. Matthew chapter 2, starting with verse 1, it is the first book of the New Testament, and this is what it says. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Now the word there, wise men, in Greek is spelled M-A-G-O-I, magi, which is where we get the word magi. So technically it should say magi there. And some of your Bibles will have a little one next to wise men or maybe a little letter. And then when you look in in the cross reference or in the in the notes at the bottom, it's going to say magi because that's the Greek word that's used there. Now, this is an interesting word, you see, because this word magi is only used a couple of times in Scripture. One time it's used in the book of Acts. And it's interpreted magicians. Another time that it's used is in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 2. Now, yes, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, but the Greek translation of the Hebrew, the Septuagint, uses the word magi, and there it is also translated magician. So it's almost like when the translators of the King James were writing this, they didn't feel comfortable saying that magicians came from the east to visit Jesus. And so they put wise men, which isn't also, you can say, an accurate description of these men, because you need to understand that magicians in today's day and age is a lot different than magicians back then. You see, magicians back then dealt with dreams and interpreting dreams, and they were scholars, and they were philosophers. Sometimes they were, today they would say astrologers, but back then they were probably more like astronomers. But they were wise men. They were men that they were dedicated to studying scripture. They were dedicated to studying literature and trying to figure things out. So it is an accurate description, but we need to be clear here on the word that the Greek uses, that Matthew uses. But then notice it says that they were from the east. Well, that really doesn't help us. Like, come on, Matthew, can you be a little bit more specific? I mean, I live west of here. Well, what does that mean? That can be Middletown. That can be Hagerstown. I mean, what does that mean? I live what? That can mean Kansas. Maybe California. I live west of here. But let's keep on reading. Verse 2, it says, saying, where is he who has seen his star in the east and have come to worship him? 
When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. How can this be? What are you talking about? That there is one that can possibly threaten my kingship? Herod did not like this news. He was not happy about this. In verse 4, And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. In other words, Herod heard what the wise men were looking for, what the magi were looking for. And he says, whoa, whoa, wait a second. There is a king that is being born in my territory. I can't have that. And so he calls the priests, he calls the scribes, and he says, what are these wise men talking about? What are they referring to? You need to find me where they get this information. And so they go back and they start reading the scriptures and they come back, right? And here in verse 5, it says, So they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. And so they go to the Old Testament. They're going through the Old Testament writings and there in the book of Micah, they find this prophecy that out of Bethlehem shall come this ruler. And so now Herod knows where this king child was born. And so this is what he says to the Magi. In verse 7, it says, Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Now we all know that that's not the real reason why Herod wanted to know where Jesus was born. We know from later in the story that his intent all along was to kill this child that potentially was threatening my rulership here in Bethlehem in this region. So he tells the wise men, look, go find them. Have at it. You have access to my entire kingdom. Go look for him. And when you find him, come back and let me know where he's at so that I too can worship him. Now, these men from the east, isn't that a bit intriguing? The east covers a pretty large area. So where were they from? In my research, as I was reading page after page and, you know, historian after historian, This is the one that I want to share with you because it's the one that I like the most. Now, I can't tell you for sure that this is what really happened. I'm just telling you, when I came upon this, I was like, oh, this is the one I'm going to believe in. Until I'm taught differently, until I'm told different, this is the one I like, right? But if you think about it, it kind of makes a little sense, right? You might remember that a long, long time ago, way before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, that Babylon came into Israel and took many captive. Now, guess what's east of Israel? Babylon. Now, you also might remember that there were several young men that were taken captive 
from Israel at that time. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Do you remember those names? And there was another very important character in the Old Testament that was taken captive into Babylon. Who was that? Daniel. And now we know that Daniel could have been referred to as a magi because he was an interpreter of dreams. He had visions. He was a scholar as well. Now we know that he left a pretty considerable mark in Babylon. He rose to be pretty high up there in the ranks of Babylon and that he was admired by many. And in the book of Daniel, he outlined prophecy after prophecy, one of which tells us the approximate date of Christ's birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. So could it be Could it be that the region that they were from was from Persia? Because we know that the Medes and the Persians had now conquered Babylon. And we know that Daniel obviously passed away. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they passed away. But that their legacy remained. And that their writings remained. And there in Persia, a country far off to the east of Israel, these writings were still in existence. And maybe these generations later, these descendants, these maybe disciples of this great magi, Daniel, wrote these prophecies. And maybe, maybe Daniel knew what he was talking about. But if this is true, then we can now say that the Magi, oh, and by the way, we're talking about modern-day Iran or Iraq. So knowing that, right, knowing that, we now know that these wise men, these Magi, traveled close to 800 miles to Bethlehem. There's another point that I want to just bring out real quickly is that we always think of three, but the Bible doesn't tell us that there were three. The Bible just says wise men. There were magi, plural. So we know that there were at least two, but as some reports, some historians, there could have been as many as 12. Were they traveling alone? We don't know. Did they have a caravan, servants, their family? Were, were they all traveling together? We don't know. We know that there were at least two. There could have been a dozen. We have no idea. The reason why we always think of three, do you know why? It's because there were three gifts. The gold, the frankincense, and the mirth. And so we always, you know, when we ever portray them, whenever we have a drama, You know, we need one person to carry each gift, right? It says here, we'll we'll read verse 9 again. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And it says here, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the... What does it say? House, not stable. You see? When they came into the house, 
they saw the young child. Notice the Bible doesn't say infant. They saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and mirth. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. And see, if you put things together, if you start piecing it together, you can deduct that they visited Jesus sometime after 40 days of Jesus having been born and before two years. Okay? Let me just explain this to you. We know that Jesus, as Jewish custom, on the eighth day went and was circumcised. That was on the eighth day. And then we know through Scripture that, like Jewish tradition, on the 40th day, he was dedicated at the temple. You might remember this when Simeon held him up and says, Behold, I can now die in peace. You remember that. That took place on the 40th day. Now, this is why we know that the Magi visited them after the 40th day, after the dedication in verse um, 13, it says this. Or let's read verse 12 again. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose... He took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. So it was immediately after the Magi's visit that they departed for Egypt. Well, obviously, they couldn't have had the dedication there in Jerusalem if they had departed to Egypt. And so that's why we can um, pretty accurately say that the Magi appeared at the house so you can deduct that after the birth of Christ, after Jesus was born in a stable, and after all the census stuff was taken care of and people started to go back to their own lands, to their own regions, you know, that Bethlehem kind of came back to its own little town there on the outskirts of Jerusalem, and now there was more room. Maybe they found uh, an acquaintance or maybe a friend or maybe they heard of a house for rent or maybe somebody put them up in their house. And so from the stable, they went to this home. We don't know whose home or what home. We don't know if they were renting or staying. We just don't know, but we know that they went to a house. The eighth day, Christ was circumcised. On the 40th day, he was dedicated at the temple. And then sometime after that, the Magi came to the house and they worshiped. And that very night after the Magi left, that very night, Joseph receives a dream. It's time to go to Egypt. And so that very night, they leave for Egypt. Now, what fascinates me is that they weren't just caught off guard and, you know, they, they weren't, they, they didn't show up and say, man, this can't be Jesus. This can't be the Christ. 
No, 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 no. It's not big enough. It's not fancy enough. No. When they saw Jesus, the Bible says that they fell at their knees and they worshiped. Listen, I know. I know because I've been there. I know you have been there. I know you because I know me. That there are times in this journey, in our search for Christ, that we get to the point where we go, there has to be more. I mean, it just can't be this. You know, I mean, really? I mean, is this really all that there is? You know, maybe you've given your life to Christ recently. You were baptized two years ago, and now you've been in the church long enough to realize, whoa, wait a second, that place is full of sinners. There's issues. And you're thinking to yourself, is this it? There has to be more. Listen, can I just encourage you to take a page out of the Magi and don't run away. Don't run away. Because even though this place is full of sinners, I'm telling you, Jesus can be found here. I'm telling you that Jesus is here. And that we don't need to be caught up with all the glimmer and and we don't need to be caught up with all the lights and we don't need to think of, of, of it being this big, awesome thing. I don't think that God would want us to fall for that. Because what God wants for us is much greater than the show. It's much greater than the lights. Much greater than the programs and the performances. It's much greater than that. But the Magi recognized that. And they fell at his feet and they worshipped. You know, there are things in life worth fighting for. There are things in life, some things in life aren't worth fighting for. And you know, sometimes we're faced with both of those at the same time. Sometimes we're faced with something that's worth fighting for, something that's not worth fighting for, and it's right there, right in front of us at the same time. Let me give you an example. It is worth fighting for patience. It's not worth fighting to prove that you're right every time. There are some things in life that are worth fighting for. There are some things that are not. You see, it is worth fighting for more time with your children. And sometimes we fight for more time at work because we're fighting for more income from work because we're fighting for more stuff at home. And all the while we're neglecting our loved ones our spouse, our children. There are things in life worth fighting for. There are some things that are not, and sometimes we're faced with those things at the same time. Listen, I want to share with you several things that these magi, these wise men teach us that is worth fighting for. It was worth fighting for years, studying, calculating, going through the records, going through the scrolls, putting this prophecy with this prophecy, trying to make sense of it all. And yes, it was a fight. Yes, it was hard. But for them, it was worth fighting for. 
I want to show you another thing that the Magi teach us that's worth fighting for. Obeying God rather than man. Did you see that? Maybe you missed it the first time around. But you might remember that Herod said to them, when you find this Messiah, I want you to come back over here. I want you to come back and tell me where he is. But then it says in verse 12, then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. And so what happens? They were faced with a decision. Do we go back to King Herod? He wants us to go back. He is the king of this region. Or do we follow what God wants? What's worth fighting for? The Magi teach us that it is worth fighting to obey what God wants. You know why? Because at the end of the day, the result in fighting for what God wants is that you see God's purpose, God's plan played out all around you. We oftentimes get distracted. We oftentimes fight for the wrong things. But the Bible tells us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Anchor Points with Robert Quintana is a ministry of the Frederick Seventh-day Adventist Church of Frederick, Maryland. If you enjoyed this message, feel free to share it with a friend. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or at fredericksdachurch.org. There's something about the thought of a clean slate that is motivating to work at becoming better. But before you start making your list of New Year's resolutions, you'll want to hear Robert Quintana next week as he shares biblical principles that will ensure you start the year off right and his message, A Fresh Start. Also, if you're wanting to learn more about how to begin a life change or just wanting more answers, we'd love to talk with you. Feel free to visit us online and check out some of our resources at fredericksdachurch.org. You can also call us during the week at 301-662-5254. We're located right between I-70 and Route 15 on Jefferson Pike. Our main service takes place Saturdays at 11 a.m., and we'd love for you to join us sometime. Remember, God loves you and wants you to live out His purpose.